Hey, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but some of you Castleford people are sitting in the wrong places. <laughs> you don't know how it messes with somebody's noodle when I'm... Usually you're over there, but now you're over here. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, would you open up to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to continue to take a look at uh, what the Lord has for us this morning. Maybe you remember as we were together... The last couple of weeks, it, when we began chapter 2, we began like this. It starts in the first four verses talking about what sin did against us. What sin did against us. Ultimately, what we see, what did it do? We're dead. Man's not sick. He's dead. He's dead and in need of resurrection from Jesus Christ. But in chapter 4, he goes on to tell us what, what God did for us. Because through Jesus Christ, he has made us alive. We are risen together with him. Then he goes on in in verse 10 to tell us about God's work in us. For you are his workmanship, remember? You are his workmanship. The word's poema. You are his work. Same word we get the word poem from. The, The idea is he is making a masterpiece out of you. He's making that masterpiece. And that's what God's doing in you. So not only was sin against us, we were dead, but then Christ died for us and made us alive and we put our faith and trust in Him. Then when we ask Him to come into our heart, He moves inside of us and He begins to create a new creation within us in Christ Jesus. He takes us on as His project. And then He goes on to tell us God's work through us. And that is to do the works that God has called for us to do. Every one of us, the works that God has laid out for us. But as we ended in, in verse 10 last week, we, we want to now take a look at what God does among us. What God does among us. As we take a look at the rest of the chapter for us, it's, it's going to back up from the personal view and kind of make a corporate view of, of mankind and of people. We take a look at it. It begins in verse 11. Therefore, now every time you see that, you should ask yourself, What's it there for? Right. What's it there for? It goes back to that whole section we just talked about, okay? From the beginning of chapter 2. What sin did against us, what God did for us, what God did in us, what God does through us. He says, therefore, because of that, remember, remember that you were once Gentiles. That you were once Gentiles. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. And one of the things Ephesus was known for was the Temple of Diana. The Temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was this immense temple. You know what's crazy? You can go to Ephesus today. It's in Turkey. One of the, one of the trips, I did a footsteps, a Paul trip, and we went through Ephesus. And when we went through Ephesus, it's amazing to see. It's it's humongous city. Humongous. You know, this this ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus at one time was a port city. But all the ports silted in, and now it's like miles inland. And once upon a time, it was, it was on the coast. The, the harbor, the bay, came all the way up into where Ephesus was. And as you go around, you look at all these monster buildings. But there's one building there's nothing left of. The Temple of Diana. Well, you can see where it was. It's on the Acropolis. You know, in, in Greece, the Acropolis is just a name for, for a mountain on a hill, or a city on a hill. And the, on the Acropolis, on the highest point of the city, that's where they would put all their temples. Because that was easily defendable if they had to defend themselves. So Diana's temple would be on this Acropolis that is visible from everywhere in the city. Wherever you are in the city, you can see this Acropolis, where that temple was. The people at Ephesus are just like you and me. They weren't Jewish. They probably never knew a, a Jewish person in their, in their whole life. They didn't really understand God's call to the nation of Israel, all the things that God had been doing through that nation up until this time. All they know is they heard the gospel. They, for the first time in their lives, were introduced to hope. They got saved. And the, and the Lord is saying to them, now, listen, remember where you came from. Remember who you were, because that's not who you are, but remember who you were. Remember the great things that God has done for you. It's a theme through the first three chapters at Ephesus, uh, of Ephesians. The first three chapters talk about our wealth. 
What do we have in Christ? What has God done for us? What has God given us? And so here he's saying, remember where you were. That that one time you were just Gentiles. Look what he goes on in verse 11 to say. Who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh with hands. By the way, that's a derogatory term. A Jew, when he looked at a Gentile, he just figured, well, that's fuel for hell. In order for hell to be hot enough, we've got to throw a lot of Gentiles in there. Stoke it up. Some of you are wondering what happened to my arm, huh? It was not a cat. Although that had been a better story. I was attacked by a mountain lion on the back patio of my house. Sounds better than I was stoking up the fire and I'm not smart enough not to touch the sides. <laughs> but that's what they found a Gentile was for. Stoking up the fires of hell. That even in the Old Testament, guys, in a book of Isaiah, which we study on Sunday nights, that even in Isaiah, he said, listen... You're going to be a light to the Gentiles. But, but the Jewish mind got so wrapped up in legalism and the idea that I'm better than you that they just looked at the Gentile as garbage. So Paul says, remember, you were Gentiles once. And the Jews thought of you as garbage, not worth anything. That's where you started all of this. And that, in verse 12, at that time, you were without Christ. He's going to lay out five things that they didn't have as Gentiles before they come to know Jesus Christ. Five things that that they had as, if you will, disadvantages in in terms of the advantages that the Jewish uh, person had. When you look at it, first he says, you're without Christ. Listen, in the Greek, Christ simply means anointed one. It's the word for Mashiach in Hebrew. It means that you are without the hope that, that there was someone coming that would make things right. See, the Jews, all the way at the beginning, had the promise of Messiah, that Messiah was coming. And so no matter how bad things got, they would say, oh yeah, but I know Messiah's coming, and I'm waiting for him. He may come. He may come in my lifetime. So I'm looking for him. They had hope. But he says, as Gentiles, you were without Christ. You didn't have that hope. There's a, a, a philosopher uh, early Roman philosopher Theognes in, in 500 BC, this is what he wrote. I will try to have a good time while I'm young, because I will lie under the earth for a long time, voiceless as a stone, and I shall leave the sunlight that I love. Then I will see no more. Have a good time, my soul, while young, for soon others will take my place, and I shall be black earth in death. No mortal is happy under the sun. That's one of hundreds, thousands of quotes from that period of time that just shows the hopelessness in the hearts of those without Christ. Is it any different from our world today? We can pile up the philosophers of today. Hey, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow I may die. Live for today. Just do it. All these things that we see taking place in our world today that show the state of man without Christ. Man without hope. He says, remember that once upon a time, you were without Christ. You didn't have hope. And what else? Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. He says, you didn't have a citizenship with Israel. Listen, we like in our, in our pledge of allegiance to say we're one nation under God. By the way, that's not going to last very long. Sooner or later, that's gone. But the reality is there is only one nation on the planet Earth that could make that claim. And that was Israel. One nation under God. What's Israel mean? Governed by God. They were a theocratic nation when they were established. That means they didn't have a king. Who was the king? God. He spoke to them. And he's saying here, when you were Gentiles, you didn't have that. You didn't have a citizenship with Israel. You didn't have the blessings that Israel had. Listen, if we want to have an understanding of, of the difference between Jew and Gentile, just hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to turn to the left. To the left. To the left. All the way to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, beginning at, uh, at verse 4. Listen to what he says. Who are Israelites to whom pertain 
Here's the blessings. The adoption. The glory. The Shekinah of God. The covenants. The promises of God. The giving of the law. The things that God requires. The service of God. How to serve Him. How to worship Him. How to know Him. And His promises. Of whom are the fathers. And from whom according to the flesh Christ came. Who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. He says, listen, this is what the Jew had. He had the oracles of God. He had the word. He had the the fathers who had gone before him. He had been adopted into the family of God. He had all of these advantages. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul's laying out for us the things that the, the Gentile didn't have. But he wants us to remember And this is why it's important. Because at one time, you know that a Jew was a Gentile, right? Yeah. When God called Abraham, what was he? He was a Gentile. He said, Abraham, come to a land that I will show you later. But first, I want you to come. And Abraham said, okay, I'll go. And God said, from you, Abraham, because you believed me, because you heard me. Because you believe that I'm going to take you where I said I'm going to take you. I'm going to make a nation of you. And the nation of Israel is born through him. As a result. Well, what were they born to do? To, dis- to display the, bl- the beauty, the glory, the majesty of God to the world. But they began to think, I'm pretty good. Pretty holy, pretty righteous. God talks to me. I don't know about you lowly people out there. I'm not so sure about you guys. I think that uh, in order to keep hell hot, we got to keep you guys around. That was, the, that was the attitude. Now Paul's saying, remember Gentiles where you came from. Why? Because what do we learn from history? We need to learn how not to repeat the very same mistakes those who went before us made, right? If we learn anything from history, it is that man does not learn from history. He's saying to us, listen. Remember, you didn't have Christ. Remember, you weren't part of the citizenship of Israel. He goes on to say, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. Who were the promises given to? The promises were given to Abraham and his seed, and those would come after him. The promise of Messiah, the promise of God working in an incredible kingdom of restoration of the world, all those things were given through Israel. They were all given through them. He says, listen, not only were you without citizenship, you were without covenant. God made one covenant with a Gentile. That's the covenant he made with Noah. Other than that, we're looking at covenants that were directed toward the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, you're without covenant. You see, God God bound himself unconditionally to fulfill the promises that he gave, the blessing that he promised, To Israel. He didn't give the Gentiles any such promise. In fact, when the Pharisees would go pray, you remember what Jesus said about their attitude when they prayed? They would say, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. He also said, thank God I'm not a woman, but I didn't want to say that here. (laughs) Thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God that... That, that I wasn't born that way, you know? So, so what do we see as a Gentile? We're without Christ. We're without citizenship in Israel. We're without the promises that God gave to Israel, the advantages that we see that Israel had. And then he goes on and says, having no hope. Apart from Christ, there's no hope. Man, I've been places and seen no hope. I remember sitting in my office one time in, in Yucca Valley and we get this phone call from some friends that are on the police force and they're like, man, you can't believe what just happened. And Yucca Valley kind of a small town, so, you know, crime is for the big city. But there's this young family living in a home in the middle of Yucca Valley and the dad went to work in the morning. And when he went to work, a man came and knocked on the door of his house and said, hey, um, is your husband home? I don't remember what his name was. And, and his wife said, no, and he's gone to work already. And he says, well, he owes me some money. He told me to come by and pick it up. And uh, he made this big old story about how, 
how uh, he had lost some money and, and he needed to get his money. And so she was a little bit freaked out. Her mother-in-law was there and her two kids. So the mom-in-law said, well, I'll go to the bank and get your money for you. Said he owed him 500 bucks. So the mother-in-law went to the bank and the man who had knocked on the door put the kids in a separate room and raped the man's wife. When the mother-in-law came in the door and saw what had happened, he snuck up behind her and slit her throat, and she bled to death on the floor. Then he went in to the woman and said he was going to slit her throat. She begged for her life. He wouldn't hear it, and he slit her throat from ear to ear. Then he stole her car, and he drove away. Now, I remember getting the phone call and thinking, it was during a time at, at Joshua Springs, we're going through a, a lot of heartache, a lot of hard things were happening about that time. And, and I remember thinking, you know, Lord, I hope this is not somebody, you know, that I know from church. None of the names, we didn't have any of the names. But it turned out we did. There are people. So I met the dad down at the hospital. And I sat down in the hospital and we prayed for his wife. His his wife actually made a full recovery. She she made a full recovery today. God's working in her life and and doing a neat work in her. But I I just remember sitting in the hospital with him. Without Christ, what hope do you have? What hope do you offer? There is no hope apart from Christ. Christ. There is no hope at all. I mean, how do you, how, how do you, how does that situation get redeemed? Well, they caught the guy, and he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. Does that make it all go away? No. If they didn't catch a guy, somebody killed the guy, does that make it all go away? No. What redeems that situation? What redeems a life from despair? is Jesus Christ. He is my hope. Without him, there is no hope. There's just this empty, sick feeling that is this as good as life's going to get? Is this as good as it's going to be? I still remember the feeling of joy when I saw his wife in in church, and she was a little self-conscious about her scar. She had a pretty gnarly scar across her throat. She was just a little bitty thing, and uh, but they were coming. They were coming, seeking that hope that's found in Christ, that he can put my life back together again. Isn't that worth being in him to know that he's the one who can put it back together again? Apart from that... So when he says here, when you were without Christ, when you were a Gentile, you were without hope. Man, do you remember the despair before Jesus? Like, what's, what, what is life for? He who has the biggest checking account wins? I mean, how do you keep score in life? Or who has the most friends? Or, or, or... But in Christ, it's all different. In Christ, it all makes sense. In Christ, there's a hope involved in our relationship and our trust with him and as i was considering the concept of hope i i thought of first thessalonians chapter four if you want to flip there with me first thessalonians chapter four um, beginning about verse 13 verse 13 he says this but i do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
the hope of the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember I told you a story about that platoon that was cut off from their company during the Vietnam War. And when they were cut off, they were thinking about giving up. They were ready to give up at any moment. But the, their company commander got a Huey, flew over the location where they were, dropped out a bunch of notes. What did the notes say? We're coming for you. And those men fought on for, for week past the ability to do so. When they had no more strength, no more ammo, no more water, no more. It was easier to give up. But they kept going. Why? Because they were looking for the promise. Today might be the day. Today might be the day when my Lord comes for me. And so I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep living. I'm going to keep stepping forward for there's things to do today. I have hope. And hope springs eternal. But he said, when you were Gentiles, you didn't have that. And then he finishes it in verse 12. Not only were you having no hope, but you were without God in the world. Now think about it. Ephesians chapter 2 began with <clears throat> that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He talks about all the things we lost. That we're without hope. We're without Christ. We're without the promises of God. We're without a, a citizenship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're without all those things. And then you come down to verse 4. What if verse 4 is not there? What if the part that says, but God is gone? That's what it's like to be without God in the world. He said, in light of all these things, remember Remember what it was back there. Why? Remember the children of Israel when they were stuck in Egypt? Do you think Egypt was a really good gig for them? I mean, get to make bricks for free all day long. They, they had food. They had housing. They had things there. But they were slaves for 400 years. Never mind the fact that the guy that was in control said that if you had a child and it was a male, you had to throw them in the, in the Nile River. But then God delivered them from that, right? And he brought them out into the wilderness, promising them a new land. And as they were journeying across the wilderness, what did they begin to say? I want to go back to Egypt. So in Deuteronomy, Moses says, remember where you came from. There's nothing back there for you. Remember the emptiness. Remember What's not there? Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision by the circumcised, that you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, I love that. I'm thankful for verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, now... At one time, we were separated from God. But in Christ, we are reconciled to God. But now, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once afar off. That's the Gentiles, far away. It's like the guys in the nosebleed section. Way out there. I saw a football game one time. At the, at the Rose Bowl. Anybody ever been to the Rose Bowl? Ever? Yeah. Have you ever seen the nosebleed section? you got to have oxygen up there. <laughs> See, you're way up. I mean way up. Way up. That's what he's saying here. You who were far off. You guys that were up in the nosebleed section. You didn't have the box seats. Like the, like the Jew did. You didn't have the box seats like Israel. You're way up there. But you've been brought near. You've been brought near. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, he has done this work. For he himself is our peace. Here's what he's saying. This is emphatic in the Greek that if you're going to have peace, if you're going to know peace, if you're going to understand peace, it is all in Jesus Christ. It's all in him. The only way to have peace, the only way that that family could overcome the things that they had been through and to move on one more day was because Jesus was their peace. That he gave them the, the, the hope that there's a better day coming. 
And it won't always be like this. He gave them that hope, and so they could go on. For he himself is our peace, who has made both those who are far, nosebleed, those who are near, in the box seats. He's made them both one. Jew and Gentile. He made them both one. And he broke down the middle wall of separation. Listen, when you went to the temple, there were three courts. The court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, and then the temple. If you were a Gentile, all you could do is come into the court of the Gentiles. And at the court of the Gentiles, if you went to the the opening that would allow you into the next court, it said, beware... If you pass by this door, your death is in your hands. No Gentile could go by that wall. But I want to come near. I want to draw near to God. No, you can't. There's a wall of separation. There's a wall of separation. You're pagan. You can't cross that wall of separation. But God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, he tore down the wall. He tore down the wall that separated Gentile from Jew. He tore down the wall that separates every man from any other man. So that we can all be one in Christ. So that we can all be one in him. He tore down that middle wall of separation. He destroyed it. He obliterated it. It's gone. There's nothing to withhold you from being able to draw near to God. At one time, if you said, I want to draw near to God, and you were a guy, you're a Gentile, you go present yourself to the priest, and he had to circumcise you. Wasn't a big line of people saying, I think I want to, I want to draw near to the Lord. You got to do what? Yeah, I know. But Jesus, he tore down that wall. He tore down that wall of separation so that we could draw near to God. So that we could draw near to him. And he did it by doing three things. We see in the next verse, he's going to do three things. One, he has abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He abolished the law. Now we read in the gospel that Jesus said, now don't think that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. But when we look here, this word in the Greek for abolish, it means to nullify. To nullify, to make the law of no effect. How did he make the law of no effect? He fulfilled the, the moral law and he abolished the ceremonial law. He fulfilled the moral law. He was perfect, just, the only man since Adam, born without sin, who did not sin, the only one who justifiably deserved never to die, died for you and me. He paid that price for you and I. He became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. He abolished the law. In fact, in the book of of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, I love this section of scripture. Colossians uh, chapter 2 said, and you... Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out, listen, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that's the law, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin and then paid the price. For sin, He took the handwriting requirements, the, the law, the thing that meant we couldn't cross over. We couldn't know God. Why? Because sin separates us from Almighty God. And God's not going to just turn his, his back and say, well, it's okay. Sin had to be dealt with. So God sent His only begotten Son to deal with sin. To live a sinless life and become sin for you and I on the cross. And die. So that by faith in Him, not because of anything we do, by faith in Him, He makes us clean, tears down the wall, abolishes the law, nullifies the law. The law has been removed. Jesus fulfilled it and completed it. It's done. 
Remember one of the things he said from the cross? Tetelestai? Paid in full? It is finished? It is accomplished? It was done. All paid for. Then look what else he does. Not only has he abolished in his flesh the enmity or the, the problem with the law against us, but then next, so as to create in himself a new man. Wait, he creates a new man. He doesn't fix the old one. He says, reckon the old man dead. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says that we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus our Lord. A new creation. He said that on the cross, he made a new race. No Jew, no Gentile, no black, no white, no race. The church is one race made up of all races. One focus. New. A new man. Not the old man. Not the old way. Not the old me. The old me is dead. The new me is a new creation. He has created a new thing. For you are his workmanship. Isn't that what it said in verse 10? Created in Christ Jesus. You are his project. God is making you new. One of my favorite verses in the the book of Revelation, chapter 21, Jesus says, See, I make all things new. Little bit of trivia. Anybody ever seen The Passion of the Christ? The movie The Passion of the Christ, there's a scene while Jesus is carrying the cross that he turns and looks to his mother and he says that line. See, I make all things new. It didn't occur there, but it's true that at the cross, by dying on the cross for you and I, he created a new man, a new humanity. That's how he could tear down the wall. You're not Jew or Gentile. You're not barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. You're nothing else but his. And one of the things we have to realize, and one of the problems that the, that the Word of God says we're going to have in the last days, is that nation would rise up against nation, right? Ethnos against ethnos. Don't you see it? Turn on the news. Is there a nation? Is not, what about Egypt? Anybody want to go to Egypt? <laughs> ethnos would rise up against ethnos. What happened in Yugoslavia? Ethnos against ethnos. Ethnic group against ethnic group. Nation against nation. But it should not be so in the church. Because we are our own race. I'm not what I was. I'm not going to hang my hat on I'm of German descent. No, man, I am a sinner saved by grace, by Jesus Christ. I'm not holding on to the old, to the past, to what the forefathers wrought for me. I'll remember it, but that's not who I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have this attitude sometimes in the world that says, I got to hold on to, to this, the, the pride of my, of my whatever, my, my race, my people, my whatever. My people is Jesus. And anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, they're my people. And I don't care what they look like or what they did. I just care who they know. Jesus said, I've made a new creation a new man no race no issue just christ the main thing is the main thing he goes on then to say not only creating in himself a new man from the two that's making peace but then finally that he might reconcile them both to god that means to renew their relationship again to god he wipes out all that junk it says you're a new creation and i have now paved the way so that you can have a relationship with god so that you can know god so that you can have god so you can have a personal relationship that's what jesus christ that's how he abolished the middle wall of separation he abolished that middle wall of separation because he abolished the law and he made a new man and he reconciled both all groups Everyone to God. Everyone is reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He goes on to tell us that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came 
And he preached peace to you who were far off, Gentile, and those who were near. See, whether you were in the box seats or in the nosebleed, nobody gets down on the field. But Jesus has reconciled you to God. Now you can come to his presence. Now there's nothing to keep you away. Now we can boldly go where only one man could ever go. One time a year, the high priest once a year could enter into the presence of God. But now you and I, whosoever will, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, not only can be saved, but can enter boldly into the throne of Almighty God and call him what? Abba. Father. Father. That's a totally different relationship, isn't it? That's what Jesus Christ has done. Remember where you come from. Remember what he has done. He has reconciled us to God. And then he tells us what are the new possessions. We have a new race. A new creation created in Christ Jesus. So what's the new things? What's the things that that new race has? He goes on. Verse 18, he says, For through him... We both have access by one spirit to the Father. Through him, that's Jesus, we both have access by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. That's the Father. What do you see in that verse? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three. The Trinitarian access to God. By Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the Father. We come to him. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. He says, first, you have a city. You're citizens. You're citizens. What are we citizens of? We're citizens of, of heaven. Think about what it meant to be part of a city, especially in this time. What did it mean to be part of a city? That was your identity. All of who you are was wrapped up in what city you were from. What, what that city had. We still see a lot of that today. We'll see a lot of that today in, in different sporting events. What city, the, the, the pride of that city with whatever team uh, that, they're, that they're covering. Whether winning or losing. The pride of that city wrapped up in that team. The pride of, the, of, of, of us, our Our hope and everything wrapped up in in the city that we belong to. So what do we see? If we're from one city, what do we have? A common language. What's our common language? Love. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That you love each other. We have a common history. What's our common history? Once we were Gentiles, now we've been reconciled to God. At one time we were alienated. Now I'm reconciled. Now I can know God. I was once something else, but now I'm something new. We have a common history. We have a common allegiance. What's our common allegiance? To Jesus Christ, which supersedes all other loyalties. Nothing comes between us and our allegiance to Jesus Christ. It's always been that way in the church. Always been that way. That's why during the time of the Romans, six million Christians were killed. We have a common goal. What's that common goal? Glorifying God. Glorifying Him. Bringing honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ for what He's done for me. We have that common goal. We have a common destination, don't we? John chapter 14, what did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. A common destination. Where's our destination? We call that destination heaven. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul would write this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a citizenship now. Before we didn't. But now, a new creation, we have a citizenship in Christ. We have a city whose maker and builder is God that has foundations that will last for all time, that will never disappoint. Our citizenship is in heaven and with him. And then, listen, don't miss the second thing that he said right there. He said that you also, you also, he lays out for us, with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, God says, not only are you citizens of my city, you're part of my family. You ever think about what that means with God? 
want you to think about it for a minute. I love being with family. You know why? I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. I can just be me. And they're my family, so they love me anyway, despite who I am. They love the fact that at Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to sit down and eat beyond what is humanly possible. (laughs) Then I'm going to lean back in my chair and unbutton the top button of my britches. That is nap preparation. (laughs) Then I'm headed to the couch where I'm going to flip on the football game. I don't care who's playing. I'm not really watching. Because when my head hits that couch after eating 50 pounds of turkey, I am out. Poof. Like a light. And I might even snore. (laughs) But you know what? Not one time has Kathy come to me and said, you know what? You can't stay home for Thanksgiving anymore. You're out. Why? Because we're family. And family means we stay together. Listen, he made us a new creation, a new nation, a new race where we have citizenship to heaven and we're part of the family of God. Why do we call each other brother? Because you're really my brother, part of my family. You're really my sister, part of my family. You really are, we really are part of the family of God. And we don't have to to have any errors about us. We can just say, this is who I am. I'm redeemed. This is the redeemed me. I don't want to be the old me. I want to be the redeemed me, but I'm still me. And it's okay. We are accepted, he said, in the beloved. You're accepted in God's family. I don't care if your own family don't want nothing to do with you. The Lord says, you're accepted in mine. And he said, The way I know that's true is he said, and when you talk to me, call me dad. You say, when you pray, how to begin? Our father. Well, not my father, right? Because it's our father. That's our dad. It's our family. We have a family. We have a family that loves us and cares about us and and wants to bind us together. And then finally, he goes on to say, and... Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. So the third thing we have, we have a temple. What's the temple made of? Well, first off, when they built the ancient buildings in those days, they would the first thing they would do is set the cornerstone. The cornerstone was huge, huge. Huge, big, like a boxcar on a train. Humongous, weighed an insane amount of weight. They would bring that in, and that cornerstone would be set. It would set the level, the stability, and the shape of the building. And what did the Bible say? Who's our cornerstone? Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's what gives us shape and stability. It all comes from Him as our cornerstone. And then it said the foundation, the next stones that are built up upon that are the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What did the apostles and the prophets give us? The Word of God. The next part of our foundation is the Word of God built, that foundation built on the Word, the works of the apostles and the prophets. And then what happens on top of that? Well, Peter emphasizes it a little more for us. We become the next layer. We're the living stones fitted together. We become the temple of God corporately. You and I, we become the temple. And the word for temple is nails. It's the holy of holies. Not the outer building. You become the inner sanctuary. The place where God lives in us. We become living stones. How did he put it? Fitted together. They grow into the holy temple, into the Lord. Fitted together. We fit together in Him. He, he, he puts us together. He establishes us. In fact, Peter would say it like this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So he gives us a city, he gives us a family, and we become his temple. Where God resides, it's in us. It's among us. Man, that's an incredible thing to be part of the family of God, isn't it? To be accepted as a new creation and what we enjoy as that new creation. My citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. My citizenship is with him. My family is not here. Or some of them are here and some of them are there. One day we're all going to be together. One place, one family, one God in our midst. And you, lo- you know, I love what God does with us. When they fit those stones together, <laughs> pieces of the stone break off. Because, you know, when you slide stones that are tightly fit, tightly cut to one another, they kind of are abrasive. You ever meet any abrasive people? You ever sit next to an abrasive stone? What do they do? They rub your rough edges off. And their rough edges off. Until they fit perfect. They become the temple of God, the place where God lives. God's here with us. He's a part of the service with us. He's a part of worship with us. Where two or three are gathered, he says, there I am in your midst. God is here. God is here. God has a plan. God has a desire. God's doing a work in your life. Thank God I'm not the old me. Thank God I'm a new creation. I'm not who I was. I'm not yet who I will be. But I'm there. I'm I'm headed that way. I'm headed in that direction. That's what he's laying out for us. Listen, in verse 22, finally, he says, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Man, God is doing this incredible work, an incredible thing. As we look at the wealth that we have in Christ, the amazing things that he's given us from where we've come from and where we're going. Don't ever ever forget Don't get your eyes off of what you have, the prize, Jesus Christ, and put your eyes on the storm. Because if you do, you'll find yourself right back there when you were a Gentile, remember? Without Christ, without promise, without citizenship, without hope, without God. And when you're there, you'll know because you'll be sinking But if, like Peter, you cry out, Lord, save me, he'll pick us up and put us back on solid ground and remind us, whisper in our ears, don't you remember? You're a citizen of my city. You're part of my family. And I live in you. Never forget the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you for the word that you bring us, God. I thank you, Father, that you've made us new. And I pray, God, that there's nobody, none of us in here that are holding on to the old man with some kind of pride that, you know, I have, I, I'm proud of my old man. or I'm proud of, of all, man, I, I can't wait for all that to be gone. I'm proud of what you did for me, Jesus. I'm proud of of who you are. I spent enough of my life waving banners, marching in parades, trying to proclaim the fact that I have value in this world when in reality I was without Christ. I was without hope. I was without God. Lord, now I just want to celebrate you. Lord, now I just want to Bring glory and honor to you because you made me new. You welcomed me into your family. You gave me a place to belong. And you live with me. Lord, I thank you for that work that you have done and are doing. I thank you, God, that you tore down the wall that separated me from you. I couldn't do it. So you did it for me. You tore it down. You destroyed it, obliterated it, wiped it out. And now... I can have a personal relationship with Almighty God. Not only that, He's my Father. And He considers me His adopted son. And He says, I have a plan for you. He tells me now, listen, 
all those promises that didn't apply to you, now in Christ Jesus, they are yes and amen. Those promises are yours. You can claim them. You can hold on to them. You can grasp a hold and say, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. We can hold on to the promises and the covenants. At one time we had no hope looking for a Messiah, but now, oh man, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come. And when you come, may I be found ready. Living my life in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Motivate me to be the new creation, not the old man. That I would reckon the old man dead. There was nothing good in that old life. Paul would say, I count it all as rubbish, garbage, trash. That's not who I am. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what I am now. Lord, may we grasp a hold of our citizenship with you. May we hold on to that loyalty that says, My allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may you move and do a mighty work in us and among us. God, pour out your spirit upon this place. This world is in such a mess. Work your perfect work of revival. Bring people to you. Even as you brought me. And if it be your will, God, if it's part of your plan, part of those good works that you have for me, Make me, along with my brothers and sisters, the tools of evangelism to reach out to a lost world that we might glorify your name. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close in in a time of worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. Also want to encourage all the prayer counselors to to mingle around in the room and if you see a sign on the wall that says prayer counselor and someone's standing under it they're there for you they're there to pray with you they're there to encourage you if there's something you're going through something you want to pray about i encourage you to find them and uh either during worship or at the conclusion of worship whatever the case may be we're here for you god bless you guys and go in peace